and my fellow Pennsylvanians. This state's electoral votes are key to who wins the presidency, and both of the candidates know it. We win Pennsylvania, we win the whole deal, you know that. Just like last night. But states like Pennsylvania are going to be incredibly important. The only thing left on the board is Pennsylvania. The president cannot get to the finish line without the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. One state all four candidates are visiting today is Pennsylvania. Its 20 electoral votes are highly coveted, and the Keystone State could end up being one of the determining factors in the race. Jill's a Philly girl. Well, I'm a screen guy. Oh, Pennsylvania. We love Pennsylvania. More than any region this podcast has covered, our conversations in Southwest VA have been the most illuminating and eye-opening for me. You know, the demographic and economic changes over the last two or three decades, they're, they're profound. And perhaps it goes without saying, but the politics of the region, they've also changed dramatically. So today, in our last conversation in this region, we're really fortunate to sit down with State Representative Pam Snyder. She knows every single corner of Greene County. She's worked for the federal government, She's served in county government, and she's now in state government. She's a true public servant in every sense of the term. She cares deeply about her hardworking constituents. And folks, just 20 years ago, the Gore-Lieberman ticket, they won big by double digits in Greene County. Last year, the Trump-Pence ticket racked up over 70% of the vote. But Representative Snyder, as a Democrat, she also pulled off a victory. She's got an important message for all statewide candidates as they're prepping their 2022 races and as they're thinking about how to best engage the hardworking men and women in Greene County. Wall Street did not build America. Middle class built America and unions built the middle class. Representative Pam Snyder, welcome to my kitchen table. Well, thank you for having me, Ari. I'm really excited to be here. You know, I hate to admit it, the last time I was in Greene County was in October of 2008. And wow. the Phillies were uh, on the cusp of winning the World Series, and Obama was on the cusp of winning, and he came within a hair of winning Greene County. But uh, a lot has changed politically uh, uh, out in Greene County. So if you could speak to the last decade or last 12 years of changes. That's very true. A lot has changed in Greene County in the last decade. You know, Greene County used to be three to one voter registration in the Democrat column. And now the Republicans outnumber us by a couple of hundred registrations. There's been a dramatic swing. There's no question about it. I think a lot of it has to do with what we do here in Greene County. And, you know, we are still very energy driven. I have the largest producing coal mine in North America sits in Greene County. Uh, I have a second coal mining complex, you know, that the United Mine Workers of America work at every day. And we have a lot of the Marcellus shell drilling. And I think that has contributed a lot to the change in philosophy. You know, I kind of, I will say I blame it on the national party politics because, you know, we've become a society of labeling everything these days. So, you know, Democrats have been labeled with being anti fossil fuels and anti a lot of things, when in reality, that's not true for a lot of Democrats. Oh, I, I hear you loud and clear. You know, we have a lot of listeners uh, in Washington and, and elsewhere. I don't know that we have any of our 3000 listeners in Greene County, but it's good to give this this background and perspective that you know, 2000, which wasn't too long ago, Al Gore decisively won uh, your county. Yeah. And it's amazing to think how much has changed in the national dialogue. So 
If we can get a bit more granular, is it the energy industry or are there other factors you think? Well, I think there are several factors. You know, again, it's about our message. The message that I think the Republicans have been able to identify us with. I think we've allowed them to control our message. And that's that's not good. You know, I, I gave a speech on Sunday for the 4th of July. And I think, you know, I think we've become a society that's number one, instant gratification. Social media has played such a huge role in the political world and in the lack of reality, because, you know, I think we've got so many people now, they think what they read on Facebook or Instagram is gospel truth, when in reality, it's not. You know, so much of it is made up, just someone's thoughts. You know, that is not where you get real news. And I think that's a real problem. It's instant gratification. So, you know, I gave a speech talking about how our founding fathers went in a room to write the Declaration of Independence that we all celebrated on Sunday, you know, and I feel pretty confident that, you know, Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin probably didn't always agree. I feel pretty confident that those men probably argued and fought and debated what this country was going to stand for. But what I think we have to step back and recognize now is they didn't allow those disagreements and arguments to stop them from their mission. And the mission was to create a country where we all are equal, where we all have our rights and freedoms. They came to a compromise and they came out of there with a document that they signed that we live by. I think we've lost that ability to compromise in our government world. And I really see that as a travesty for the people of this nation because compromise is not a dirty word. I don't know anything in life where you get 100% your way. I, you know, you don't do it in your job. You don't do it in your marriage. You, you don't do it when you're raising your kids. Everything you do in life, you have to give and take a little bit. But all of a sudden, we've become this society in, in the United States of America that I want it 100% my way or you're no good. If you don't agree with me 100% of the time, you're no good. That's a very dangerous, slippery slope that we went down. And I am so fearful of how we get back because that's why nothing gets done. Amen. Very well said. Good thoughts on package there. I'm reminded that we have a we have a 15 month old daughter, and she's learning uh, exactly what you said. That you know, even at 15 months, you can't. You know, you got to you got to give a little to get a little. I'm also reminded that Green County gets its name from uh, General Green. Maybe he wasn't a founding father, but as we celebrate our independence this week and uh, every week, we owe a lot to uh, Nathaniel Green. So you have a really unique perspective because you worked in federal government with Congressman Mascara. You worked in local government uh, on the county level and now in Harrisburg. So if you can speak, you know, are these these themes that you're talking about, do we find them uh, even in local government? Uh, did you find them uh, 20 plus years ago with Congressman Mascara? Or is it you know, particularly acute in Harrisburg and national politics nowadays? I think it's become more acute in national politics in the last decade. And here again, I do. I go back to a lot of it, I think, factors into social media. You know, when I worked for Congress of Mascara, you mentioned the Al Gore race. You know, um, we were very involved in that race. 
And, you know, that was a very controversial election, uh, if you recall. You know, Al Gore had won the popular vote. There was a lot of issues in Florida with the hanging chads and counting of ballots. And, you know, when push came to shove, Al Gore did the right thing for our country by saying, we're going, we've elected President Bush. I remember, you know, my boss would have great relationships with folks from the other side of the aisle. You know, back then, even it was still the fact that they would disagree maybe on the House floor, that they would have disagreements. But at the end of the day, they were friends. They were colleagues. You know, they would have dinner together. Those times are gone. You know, when I was county commissioner for nine years, you know, one of the things I always say that I'm very proud of, you know, I was chair of the board for the entire nine years and served with three different Republican commissioners. And in nine years, we never had a split vote because we put the politics aside and we did what was best for the people of Greene County. What, you know, what we believed was the best at that moment in time. You know, we disagreed. We had discussions and but we always ended up coming to a mutual compromise so that we could show a united front. I think it's important for people to see that their government works for them. What we have now is not working for them because we've allowed the extremes on both sides to be the ones controlling the agenda because everyone that believes in compromise and moderation is either leaving office or they're not, this one's not Republican enough, so their party's primarying them. This one's not Democrat enough, so their party's primarying them. It's not a healthy environment. Oh, that is, uh, you could say that again. Yeah, it reminds of the old line, right? If you have someone who's driving the bus too far to the left, the bus is going into a ditch. If you're driving too far to the right, you're going into a ditch. Uh, you know, you got to stay right down the middle. So all our listeners in Harrisburg and Washington, uh, hopefully they're, they're, they're taking this to heart. Look, as I recall, Congressman Mascara represented the 20th district. Correct. And not, not, not too long ago, there were 21 congressional districts and population loss, uh, as we've seen in the census, the dust is still settling is, is quite real and it's, it's real in places like Greene County. So what, what do you attribute that to? And if you could share with our listeners from outside of Southwest PA a little of the demographics. Well, you know, I think I think for us in the southwest corner, you know, we still are very, like I said, driven by the energy industry, but we're cons- we're still considered part of Appalachia, you know, and you know, our folks are the younger folks are are leaving the area to work pre-pandemic, you know, to be able to find a job where they could work from home or, you know, telework. Well, I you know, I think that's changing a little bit now with the pandemic. We've all seen that, you know, we can be functional from home. But, you know, one of the big things that I have tried to champion and tried to really push to the forefront for the last four years is that everyone needs access to broadband. And I think the pandemic now has proven that to be true. And it is now on everybody's radar screen. I was very disappointed when we left Harrisburg on June 30th, and there really was no investment made for broadband in Pennsylvania. There was another $5 million put into a pilot program that we did with a piece of legislation in the last session, which is nice, but $5 million doesn't even begin to touch what we need across the Commonwealth. I'm told we're going to address that when we come back in the fall. I hope that's true. I'm hoping that with President Biden's infrastructure plan, that you know there's going to be a lot of money earmarked for broadband and that we'll be able to tap into that because I think that's really part of the problem here in rural Pennsylvania. You know, not just in my corner of the world, but across this Commonwealth, 
you know, how do you attract a business to an area if they can't connect? You know, I say it all the time. You, you can't compete if you can't connect. You know, uh, even our farmers, you know, agriculture is still the number one industry in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, but our farmers can't be competitive if they can't use today's technology to be able to farm. And they need today's technology to be competitive. I think that is a huge issue. I think that's part of the reason why, you know, we've lost some population here is because people want, they want the amenities of life. They want the things that they need to be successful. Well, thank you. Look, we, um, there is a larger discussion and probably a podcast to be had about policy wins in Harrisburg. And, and, and this is more so focused on politics. But if you can remind listeners, look, we have a lot of Harrisburg politicos, uh, but we have a lot of folks maybe who aren't following the debate of the last month. Uh, so if you could just shed a little more light on, on what you were referring to. In regard to the budget, you mean? In regard, in regard to the budget and the infusion of federal uh, capital. Yes, you know, uh, our fiscal year, the state's fiscal year ends on June 30th. So by the end of June, we always have to have the state budget passed. And the month of June is always that. It's the four, the four leadership groups, you know, the House Republicans, the House Democrats, the Senate Republicans, the Senate Democrats, and the governor's office trying to hash out details of a budget. We in the rank and file, you know, we kind of get it in the final hour and we're always scrambling to see what's in it and, and, you know, and what it, what it's going to do for us. Now, you know, we've been very successful and I think it's really important, you know, to have an increase for the public education sector. You know, I'm a strong proponent of public education. You know, Governor Wolf, that is one thing he has fought for and has been successful in achieving is getting uh, more funding for our public education system. And we were able to do that again this year in the budget. This year's budget was probably one of the easiest since I've been there in my nine years because we did have the influx of the federal dollars because of the pandemic, which really helped. So it was a pretty uneventful budget budget cycle. We finished early, which is really unusual for us to do. But, you know, it's it's a good solid budget. And, and hopefully, like I said, when we return in the fall, we'll be able to address, you know, more individual issues like broadband and and transportation issues, water, sewage, and we'll continue to work on those when the federal dollars come down from the infrastructure plan. I assume, but I never want to assume, that issues around broadband and roads, bridges, locks, levees, these are bipartisan? You find consensus and common ground with your colleagues on the other side? For a lot of those kind of issues, yes, you know, we we reach a consensus, you know, but nothing's easy in Harrisburg. That's part of the frustration. You know, everything's a fight. You have an idea and you think, you know, someone comes to me and there's an issue. So you think, well, this should be an easy fix legislatively because what these folks are going through isn't right. So you you put out a piece of legislation and you think this is a no brainer. You know, everybody should be on board for this. Well, everybody isn't on board for it. You know, there's always some group, some organization, some stakeholder that has a different opinion of how that should be done. And then, you know, being in the minority, you know, you have to really work to get the majority party to put Democrat bills on the calendar. You know, it's, it's, it's extremely partisan at times, but that's, that's the world of government. You know, you just have to continue to have, that's why it's so important to have the compromise mentality. You know, I try to have relationships with folks on both sides of the aisle. There's a lot of things I partner with, with Republicans. You know, I think it's important because, there are so many issues out there that are not political. 
You know, they're issues that matter to people, issues that will help people. That's what we're there for. You know, that should be what we should be focused on. And that's probably my biggest frustration with Harrisburg is that so many times the politics interfere. And that's not my style. That's not my mantra. I like to get things done. Right, wrong, or indifferent. Get them done. Let's do something. You know, this arguing back and forth for months, you know, on, on an issue that is simple. It's not hard. I just think is is the wrong way to govern sometimes. Amen. Yeah, I, w- I want to get back to the politics in a minute. But if, if we were to stop someone, you know, at, at a Walmart or Main Street, Waynesburg, somewhere in Greene County, are people talking about the federal infrastructure debate? You, you certainly see the benefits of a, a bipartisan infrastructure package. But is this top of mind to for average everyday folks? I think when you talk to people about water and sewage and public infrastructure, I do think they feel it's important. I do think they get it. You know, if you talk to folks in my world about broadband, they absolutely get it. You know, the folks down here, they want access. And, you know, I still have areas of my district that have bad public water systems. You know, some folks are still getting their water supplies from from wells. They don't have a public water system. I can tell you where I live. I don't have public sewage. We still have a septic tank. So public infrastructure is extremely important. You know, we talk about here again, that loss of population. I think that all factors in too. You know, when, when someone wants to wants to build a home and raise their family, they want to have public water, public sewage, access to broadband, and a good public school system. That's what they want. So if you can't provide all those things, they're going to go somewhere else to find it. Well, so speaking of somewhere else, you know, just a short drive up by 79, now President Biden, he, he literally the first stop of his campaign and the last stop of his campaign were in Allegheny County with organized labor playing an instrumental role, both in those events and, and in the campaign. So if you could speak a bit about last cycle, I realize it seems like eons ago now, but you know, there's still a lot to unpackage from November uh, 2020, both for your race and then the entire coordinated ticket. Yes, it was a it was a very challenging election cycle. There's no question about it. You know, the uh, electorate was very polarized down here. There was no middle ground. You know, you were either all about Donald Trump or all about Joe Biden, you know, which is normal in any presidential election, but it was a lot more electrified. You know, there were, you know, in Greene County, you know, Trump won with like 82% of the vote. So, uh, you know, for a Democrat to even survive on a ballot like that was was a challenge. As far as President Biden in Allegheny County and, and the union issue, I, you know, I can tell you, I, I agree wholeheartedly with his stand for labor unions. You know, because when he says this line, I, I stand up and cheer every time I'm standing in my living room because it's what I've been saying my whole career. The middle class built this country, literally, and unions built the middle class, literally. And I know there are a lot of people that want to bash unions, but I am here to tell you, you know, if you look at our history, those men and women fought and some died for a five-day work week, a 40-hour work week sick leave, vacation leave, overtime pay. It, you know, it didn't come by accident, you know, that companies just gave those types of benefits to workers. It was because of labor unions. And I, you know, I am a strong, strong supporter of the labor unions, all of them, you know, especially here, you know, in my district, the United Mine Workers of America, you know, they are 
blood, my lifeblood here. That's why I am such a strong voice for the coal miners. I think we need to do more to encourage people to join unions. And I think, I think we're seeing some of that. You know, now there's been a couple of Supreme Court decisions that have come down that have, that have not been good for unions here in the last few weeks. But yet, I do believe that under the Biden administration, they will do everything they can to protect unions. And I think that's important. You know, my husband was a lineman for 34 years for the local power company. You know, I started my career as a county employee. And yes, you know, I worked for the congressman and I've been, you know, I was an elected official on the county level for nine years. And now I'm in my ninth year here. But I am here to tell you, we raised our family on what my husband did for a living. You know, when he was out there climbing poles in ice storms and inclement weather, you know, around the clock, if it wasn't for his union, we wouldn't have been able to send our two girls to college. You know, if it wasn't for his union job, you know, we wouldn't be able to own our own home here on his family farm. You know, it is what he did that enabled us to raise our family. And I never forget that. That's another reason why I am such a strong proponent of workers' rights and protections. You know, and I see a lot of this too in Harrisburg. You know, you'll see maybe the opposing party, you know, embracing unions when it's convenient on an issue. But then I sit on the Labor and Industry Committee and I watch that same party try to strip away workers' compensation rights and try to strip away workers' rights. And and it's our party that fights for that. And people have forgotten that along the way. And, you know, I think it's important for the workforce to really dig in deep. You know, don't just believe the rhetoric you see on social media. You need to really look at who is protecting your workers' rights. My husband was 40 feet strapped to a pole in the middle of an ice storm after working 18 hours. And that pole broke at ground level because that pole was rotted because it had not been inspected by the company. He fell 40 feet and was hurt bad. And and we had to utilize the workers' comp system. I lived through it as a young wife. I didn't work then. We had a young child at home. I know what that's like to live through that system. I know what that's like to have an injured worker in your family. And if it wasn't for the workers' comp system and what unions fought for, I don't know what our family would have done. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And one of the first episodes we had was uh, the business manager for IBW Local out of the Lehigh Valley. And uh, we're going to continue to profile on this podcast as our listenership grows. I think it's important that every listener takes this to heart and remembers the importance and, and not use the past tense, but really understands the role that organized labor is playing in the Commonwealth uh, and beyond. I think we might as well, you've been super generous with your time. We'll wind down momentarily, Representative. But yeah, there was there was a lot of reporting and discussion uh, in the lead up to 2020 about various international presidents at the different uh, labor unions endorsing the Biden ticket, and then down at the local level or even at the individual level, brothers and sisters choosing otherwise. Uh, so there's no need to name names, but if you could speak to that that disconnect, uh, so to speak, because I think you've seen you have a very unique front row of this evolution uh, over the last two, three decades. Well, you know, I think what you saw on the local level with some of the unions was, again, back to the energy industry. You know, when you have the Democrat Party being labeled as the party that wants to kill fossil fuels, that's a problem when you live in a district like mine. You know, even though the fact remains, if you do, if you if you look 
there, there were more coal mining jobs lost under the Trump administration than there has been under any administration. So, you know, it, it isn't always what it appears to be. It isn't always what you read on that two sentence post on Facebook. You know, here again, people need to really get the facts. But I understand. I understand why some of the labor unions, you know, went the other way because they felt that was who was trying to protect their jobs. And let's be real campaigns, you know, it always amazes me. Campaigns like to take on uh, this persona of going to the social issues because that's what pulls at people's heartstrings. And that's how you get people out to vote. But yet when those people get elected, they don't do anything about those social issues. They put it on the back burner till the next campaign. Okay. But you put, you know, when it comes to who people are voting for and who unions are supporting, it's about your household. It's about your job. It's about your health care. It's about your benefits. It's about kitchen table issues. And that's what I say all the time. If we were to focus on the kitchen table issues, which is what Democrats fight to protect all the time, we shouldn't be in the position we're in right now. But we always let them sidetrack us with the social issues. Well, by the way, I like I like that reference to kitchen table. That was the whole uh, impetus of uh, this podcast that we launched just a few months ago. Final question. You won in this climate last year. My understanding is you actually even racked up more votes than President Trump did. Yeah, I'm just curious. What There's clearly a secret sauce. Uh, you've alluded to this, but we have 2022 candidates, statewide candidates that listen to this podcast. And, and what, what would you tell them? What's the secret of engaging Green County voters? Well, I think for me personally, you know, I... Engaging is the right word. You know, my husband and I, it is not unusual for us to get in the car, not during the pandemic, of course, but pre-pandemic and now on a Saturday morning at nine o'clock and maybe not pull back in the driveway till nine o'clock at night doing 10 events. I have the largest geographic district in the Pennsylvania House on the Democrat side, 644 square miles. The smallest is a representative in Philadelphia, two square miles. So that tells you the difference, okay, and tells you that I'm a lot more rural. It's about, People want to feel connected to their representative. I believe that. And I work really hard to make that happen. You know, I am very involved in every community event that I can be. I contribute financially to, you know, to my volunteer fire departments, to my municipal police departments, to every softball team, little league team. You know, high school football programs, I have all or part of eight school districts in my district. You know, I represent three different counties. So, you know, I'm accessible. I am very, very accessible. And I think that's important. It's important to get out and talk to people and be real, be who you are. One thing about me, I don't sugarcoat it. I am who I am. You know, I don't change it for anyone. And, you know, I think that the one thing you have to always remember and the thing that I'm always cognizant of, we have a representative form of government. I hold this seat. I'm the steward of this seat at this moment in time. It doesn't always matter how Pam Snyder feels about the issue. This isn't about me. It's about knowing my district and knowing how the majority of my people feel about the issue. I have put up a lot of votes that my Democrat governor has not liked. And that my Democrat caucus has not liked, but I vote my district first. And if somebody gets mad at me, I'm sorry about that. They'll have to get over it because to me, 
I represent the people of my district. They sent me to Harrisburg. I am their voice. So I don't get into that. Hey, you're the Democrat. You have to vote this way. No, I'm going to vote my district first. And I think that's the best message I can send to candidates. Be true to who you are, but but make sure you're being true to the people that you're looking to represent. Here, here. Well, at the beginning of this, you referenced our founding fathers, and uh, we just celebrated Independence Day. And this is, I, I believe, this is what they envisioned on that, that hot summer day in Philadelphia 245 years ago. So, Representative, on many levels, thank you for your time and what you're doing day in and day out for the Commonwealth. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure, Ari. Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode of Pennsylvania Kitchen Table Politics. As Hillary Clinton used to say, it takes a village. This podcast would not be possible without the help of Sarah McGrath and Jake Schwartz. If you liked this discussion, we would love for you to give us a review, subscribe, and rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a suggestion on a future guest and other feedback, visit our website, papoliticspodcast.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at PA Political Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn.